Hello and welcome to another edition of the Endzone Podcast. It is I, Eric Jensen, your host. If I'm speaking quietly, it's because it is 9.20 p.m. in the United States of America and uh, my father is sleeping in the room across from me and I really do not want to wake him up. That would be uh, something that would make me personally feel pretty bad and uh we're doing it this late because there's no man there is no man no man on this earth except for this man but i would stay up till 9 30 10 just to make sure we could get on his lunch break in south korea it is our man yb he as as i teased on twitter really i i think the most well-known and most prime uh nfl analyst in korea so welcome welcome to the podcast you you are famous over there of course i'm famous in a very small community a very niche community but i'll take whatever fame i can get at this point so (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining the show per usual yb how are you doing I'm doing all right. Like things are things are going relatively well. Like we're we just got off of Korea Thanksgiving like two like a couple of weeks ago, and now it's going into the final quarter of the year, and a lot of things are set up at work. So busy times as well, and plus raising a kid that also has something to do with it. Yeah, YB's a busy man, busy man. So are you? Man, but a man I like chatting with. Uh, <laughs> so you you've got like so is this your office space behind you like you yeah basically you, you've got like a really it looks like futuristic like what, what do you do yb uh without going to too many details i work as a supervisor and also as a uh as in business development for my fam- my family company so my father's company and i've been working at this job for uh, three years now and i'm constantly under pressure to actually develop something so <laughs> Are you a good or evil corporation? I would like to think that we are good, but what really matters is what other people think. And other people have at least say they don't peg us as an evil corporation. So okay, that's, that's good. A, that's good <laughs> enough for me, I'd say. <laughs> well, that's good, YB. I always like learning a little bit more about you. <laughs> and, and that small talk was really to distract us from the fact that your bangles are 0-2. And well, yeah, off thanks for that. <laughs> a really terrible start so let's just start there welcome to the take soup podcast everyone as i was telling yb before that this is what this kind of tuesday wednesday show is going to be it's just going to be we've all watched a lot of nfl football this weekend we've all watched a lot of you know game highlights on youtube game pass for yb you know we've we've watched a lot and now we have some takes and we're here to vomit them all into your ears and, and hopefully learn something about the NFL. So let's start with the Bengals. Uh, may I give you my prognostication on the Bengals? Of course. The, the Bengals, it, it was just a mistake to keep Zach Taylor. That was just a mistake. Like, you, you should have realized that this guy, really aside from one really magical run from, like, last late October to the Super Bowl was carried by the tremendous talent of guys like Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Joe Burrow and then you were just kind of like yeah I mean he we went to the Super Bowl let's throw this guy a massive contract and 
really what you should have done was said, hey, man, like, we want to get an offensive, like, genius in here type and, and, and get, get him paired up with our quarterback that we think looks generational. They did not do that. Then they, they spent a lot of money on apparently worse offensive linemen than last year, uh, which just – At um, least one of them. At least one of them. Just what, that, that's crazy. Uh, my favorite stat for the Bengals, Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times in two weeks. That is mm-hmm. an absolutely wild stat. Some some quarterbacks only get sacked 13 times a season. Like yeah. uh, it, it's uh, it's it's very, very bad. And then, uh, you know, what I was most disappointed by on Sunday, at least, was the defense. I mean, you, 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 I, I was under the impression going into the season that this was one of the deepest secondaries in the NFL. And you let Noah Brown absolutely run rampant on you. Like, who even is Noah Brown? Like, wait, well, he we'll a, know. I mean, we, we didn't know who the hell Mike White was before he beat the Bengals. So right. Is, we, have is, a, we have a tendency to do this sort of thing. Is, is he like a real, uh, is he a real human person? Like, uh, more so what? the Christian Hackman dude. Just wild, just absolutely wild. Why be what is going on with the Bengals? Okay, so the Bengals for two straight weeks they've shown up seemingly unprepared to handle the initial volley. And I mean, week one, you can kind of put it on Burrow at Burrow and the starters absolutely not even playing the preseason at all. Burrow obviously had his appendectomy, and defense like they've they clamped down after they get punched in the face a couple of times, but and they do, and to give them credit, Amarumo has coached them up pretty well. But the big part is that, like, they they brought in three offensive linemen on FA on free in free agency. Karras has been good. The center Karras has been very good, I, but Kappa has been decent. Not, I'm not sure if he's worth like he hasn't lived up to the price tag so far. And Lowell Collins has been absolutely dreadful. And, the, and when you like obviously that they might have had something in mind because Collins' contract is structured so that after one year, if things go haywire, they can get rid of him without too much trouble. But from what I saw after the game, after the game, and a lot of other, lot smarter people looking at it, is that there are assignments being missed. It's not a like there are obviously occasions when Collins was just over overmatched by Micah Parsons, but there are other instances where. Uh, or basically, somebody's somebody's signals got crossed, and two people end up blocking one guy, and one guy runs free. And you remember last year when when Baltimore and Pittsburgh, and Baltimore went for the two point conversion, and then for some reason T.J. Watt was unblocked in Lamar's face. Kind of the same thing happened where Micah Parsons was unblocked in Burrow's face, like one second after the snap. And this might sound like sacrilege as a Bengals fan, but. Burrow does not look like the Burrow from last year so far. He, last year's Burrow, and people have people talked about this a lot last year during the Miracle Run, was his footwork and his presence in the pocket was clean. And he, he, took, he took a drop back, he, he scanned the field, and then bang, the pass was out. Now, he takes a drop back, apparently nothing's there, and then he starts moving around like, a, well, kind of like a person who's been sacked 13 times and hit a lot more wood. He's jittering in the pocket. And so it feeds into itself. And they they obviously knew that because Chase Higgins and the guys basically burned, burned a lot of teams for deep balls last year, 
that they're going to face a lot of cover two, two high, two high safety shells. And for one reason or another, when the checkdowns are there, Burrow either doesn't see it or hasn't taken it in you know, on numerous plays. And that's something they'll have to uh, suss out in the in the film room. And the defense, Bates, obviously not having a training camp at all will kind of hurt you in terms of what your actual game preparation. And one other thing is that it seems like they drafted two defensive linemen and a safety in the first round. But the two big, the two edge rushers in Cincinnati, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, they don't get rotated at all. They're out there all the time. And when you're out there all the time, you're going to wear down. And if you have so many younger D linemen, maybe it's maybe they're not going to give you the splash play that you want, but they allow Hubbard and Henderson to conserve the energy somewhat to make plays when they're out there. So, and if you have that many defensive linemen, but you're not using them that much, like then what exactly are you doing? And why is Dax Hill only playing two snaps a game? This, this is, I'm not sure what the hell is going on in the Bengals coaching room at the moment. And I've shared the sentiment with you and Brad via DMs, but I've told you that I support Manchester United. So it feels like I've seen this story before where he even reminds, Zach Taylor reminds me of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that he's a vibes coach. Like he's good at bringing people together, especially when you're an underdog, when, when it seems like things are going against you and building a, a solid unit in terms of psychologically. But tactically, in terms of schematics and tactics, Solskjaer was nothing special and that eventually got him fired in United. And Taylor seems like the same thing where he apparently runs his own scheme, except the blind man can't build, can't build a hole and mix and is missing holes when they're there. And he can't find a way to scheme open Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, which it seems like it's hard to do. So it's kind of a mess all around. The only saving grace is that essentially, even, even though they're playing absolutely in absolutely terrible football, they would have they would have won week one if it weren't for a very bungles like long snapper injury costing them the game, and week two they were also beaten at the buzzer. So that's the only saving grace I have at this point. But right now it doesn't look good. Yes, things do not look great right now in Bengals land. Uh, things just are are not trending in a very positive direction it seems so mm -hmm. we will we will see how that ends up very fascinating game this week we're going to do Jets. more um preview stuff on thursday but while i have you here just what are you looking for in that game i i do feel like it's a that is a wildly interesting game to pay attention to uh, i i think that the Jets' pass rush got better as that Browns game went on, and the Bengals' offensive line is a great game to get your pass rush really going well. Uh, Jets' coverage got better in the second half. The defense just really tightened up after the third quarter, really. Mm -hmm. And then you had some Joe Flacco magic, and it looks like Garrett Wilson is just going to be this kind of stud NFL wide receiver and it's one week I know it's yeah. one week but he looked absolutely great and the film coming out on him from all 22 and things like that he looks like a veteran NFL route runner right. and like you got that you got Elijah Moore like I don't know I'm interested to see 
personally gambling wise what the line is on that game to be completely honest with you uh, i i feel like anything that has the bangles over like four points is just yeah wildly off you have a line's four and a half that seems way too that's, big that's a, what i thought that's what that I seems like way too big a number for the Bengals right now to be completely honest with you like it's it's kind of a it's kind of based on inertia because they are after all the defending AFC champions and they have the talent to kind of make it right if things go well so there's a bit of residual belief in that talent wins out and if you think about it the the vegas odds makers almost think they'll win by a touchdown because typically the home team gets three points just out of the bat so the fact this is a MetLife, and yeah, I don't know. That number just seems really, really strange. I don't think the Jets are a lock to win that game by any means, but I think it could be a lot closer than people think. Oh, yeah, especially because, remember, the Jets beat the Bengals last year when the Bengals were playing a lot better, and we had we were introduced to the one week of Mike White hype, which oh, yeah. uh, died a very quick death. I kind, kind of forgot about the Mike White game. Yeah, I think we all did, except for yeah. us, except for us Bengals fans. Yeah. Hmm. Like we like because the talent's there and they've shown that they can do ma- magical things last year, that there's still a prevailing belief that they'll find a way to get it together. And it doesn't seem like there are any conflicts in the locker room or anything like that. That's uh, that's breaking the team apart. But on the whole, the first two weeks are eminently winnable games, especially with the Dallas without Dak Prescott and this was not exactly the most auspicious it starts so yeah they've they've basically got to start winning some games right now because if they ever lost that game to the Jets you're suddenly in in danger especially of with how the Ravens are playing right now I understand they just lost to the Dolphins but if you lose to the Jets you're in real danger of falling out of the division race right I mean they're the only winless team in the division right now so Right. They're mathematically their last in the division. Right. And then I mean, after the Jets, doesn't get any easier. Dolphins, mm-hmm. Ravens, Saints. Like that's a, that is a killer schedule to have all teams with pretty good pass rushes. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but then the schedule softens a little bit. You get Falcons, Browns, Panthers, but man, I don't I don't know why the things I'm kind of worried about the Bengals. Maybe that's foolish, but I, I just watching that thing today, man, they just looked sloppy. And like it, it wasn't just the offensive line, it was just everything is not going well for them right now. So when you when you've been when you've been rooting for the Bengals as long as I have, you always learn that there's always something around the corner, even when it looks like things are good. We saw that with Carson Palmer and his knee exploding. We saw that at the meltdown at Paul Brown when it looked like Andy Dalton had an actual chance at being an MVP candidate. I won't say MVP because Cam was insane that year. But we saw what happened in the meltdown at Paul Brown. And now after last year, we some of the more experienced and, and wiser Bengal fans were – they were – hoping that this wouldn't come true but that it is something like this happening was a distinct possibility so it's it's trying times but hey i mean it's only two games into the season so far and 
there's 15 more to go. And remember the Bengals were five and four last year and even suffered some, some couple more losses. And then they pulled out all the games they needed to sneak into the, to get the division by the skin of their teeth. So it's not, it's not over. Like, I don't think there's something terminally wrong, but it is disturbing. I'll say that much. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think we're going to learn a lot about the Bengals over the next few weeks. Yeah. I think we're going to learn a lot about the Bengals. And, you know, it's week two. Ultimately, what do we know in week two? Absolutely nothing. Like, yeah. Remember, the Chiefs were two and three in week five. And then, well, <laughs> we saw we, what happened. We, we just have hypotheses. Right. Hypotheses in, uh, in week two. Right. All right, YB. I, I I want you to guide this show for a minute. I want you to do some host work. I want you to ask me a question about the NFL to move us on to our next point. Literally any question you have, and and I okay. will do my best to answer. Okay. What the hell is happening in Denver? Oh, so we're just gonna do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, well, the, what, from what I I didn't watch this game in detail, so I I caught the highlights and kind of saw what was going on. But there are several questions that rise that come to me in terms of what the Denver, uh, what the Denver offense specifically is doing. First of all, it doesn't seem like there are any there. They have schemed up any ways to get in deep shots, which is Russell Wilson's special specialty. They've resorted to a lot of checkdowns, especially in Week One, and I'm, they've. I've heard that this is sort of a Russ specific thing, but there apparently is a lot of communication going on, which leads to delays and rush moments at the line Javante Williams oh, yeah. looks like a beast which is a good thing which is definitely a positive and Gordon looks like he can be a good supplement to Javante which is a plus but kind of like the Bengals like what is going on what is going on it shouldn't be this constipated to use a more uh colorful term yeah well, well I think one thing One thing is I quickly text back mm-hmm. this person at work. I apologize, YB. This is <laughs> bad podcasting. You're getting, you're getting called for work at 9, 9.30 p.m.? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the job of a, a baseball a baseball producer, you know? Uh, okay, the, fair point. These are when the games are. Fair point. For... But, but, but I'm, based on what I've seen, obviously, they had a couple plays to Sutton in week two. But in week one... There was really nothing. They like they couldn't get anything going except for uh, dumping it off to Javante and saying, "Javante, remember that run you did against Baltimore? Do that again." Like that's what it seemed like the offense was. There wasn't a lot of flow. Like they couldn't really get a rhythm going anywhere. And Russ, we know about Russ that he tends to miss people on the middle of the field at intermediate distances. Happens seems to be a trademark amongst uh, shorter quarterbacks. So what exactly is what exactly is the scheme in Denver? Yeah, I, I don't know, to be completely honest with you. It seems like the, the people I follow who are really in touch with that kind of stuff don't really know either. It, it seems like it's some sort of weird amalgamation between Nathaniel Hackett's kind of Green Bay, kind of West Coast quick passing scheme and Russell Wilson's more drawn out play action type deal. And and those two those two systems just don't really mesh. Like it, 
like I know we kind of said we expected this going into the year, but someone much smarter than me should have said, Eric, like, what are you talking about? Like, one of these systems requires the quarterback to just be super patient, sit in the pocket, look for stuff deep down the field. And the other system is just like making quick reads, getting the ball out fast Mm -hmm. and, and hitting the open stuff over the middle, all of which are things Russell Wilson is absolutely terrible at. I mean, he holds the ball forever. This has always been a Russell Wilson critique. He always looks for the big play. That's just the type of quarterback he is. He is not a quick pass, simple offense kind of guy. Hence, you see that in his numbers. I mean, 14 for 30, 14 for 31. Those are Baker Mayfield numbers. Like, what are we doing here? Honestly, YB, what I see from the Broncos is this. They're best suited to be a run first offense. Right. That's that's I'd what they're so. that's what they're best suited to do. Mm-hmm. And because Russ is there, and because Russ really wanted to leave Seattle because it was a run first offense, like it puts them in a really tough bind. Because here's this guy that you just paid two hundred and seventy million dollars for, and traded all these draft picks for, and it turns out the best system for him to run is the system that he absolutely hated like it they should be giving the ball to javante williams and melvin gordon a combined like 45 30 between 25 and 30 if you want to keep them alive at the end of the season but yeah basically i mean you look at the way the touches broke out they only had 31 carries this game. That number needs to be about 20 higher. Like, they need to run the ball 50 times a game. And they're just – they they think mm-hmm. because they have Russell Wilson that that's not going to be the case. But the, the truth is the offensive line is not good in pass protection. I don't care what people say. The officials have just not been calling holding on the Broncos tackles over the past two weeks. If you watch so, the tape. So Garrett like, Bowles reverting to form in that case. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Like there is holding on almost every play from both tackles. I mean, it it is absolutely wild to watch and it's just not getting cold. And that's wild because the Broncos, the other problem is they're the most penalized team in the NFL. They had, 13 penalties after having 12 in the first week how many delays uh four i think oh my god it was embarrassing yb i don't know if you saw this or caught but you couldn't really catch it on the highlights right but at points the broncos crowd started counting down the play i heard about this it was embarrassing to watch and the other part is they're just out coached every single week like Nathaniel Hackett is just not good at this whole game management thing. Like he sent out, that. he sent out the special teams unit without a punt returner, like and had to burn a timeout. And then with seven minutes left, there was almost a delay a game, and then he burned his last timeout. And at seven minutes, you have no timeouts against the Houston Texans. It like, and the other part is, and and my good friend Joe Rolls who. You know, I've kind of fallen out of contact with, and uh, you know, I, if he's hearing this, I really hope he gets back in touch with me because I'd love to have him back on the podcast because he's just so smart and 
everything he does. But every week he sends out the same tweet over these past two weeks. He's like, guys, do we think the Texans' defense is good? Like, honestly, YB, answer these questions. Like, do you think the Seattle Seahawks' defense is good? And do you think the Texans' defense is good? Because the Broncos haven't been able to score over 20 points on either of those right like they're not like they have they have a couple of players that they might be able to build around but other than that they have really nothing and and you have a so-called offensive head coach so clearly he's not scheming things right and if he's not scheming things right and he's not game managing well what why is he still there like to me they there is a very real chance that the broncos go into their bye week two and six because the schedule is just brutal. The schedule is just absolutely brutal for the next six weeks. You have the 49ers who are a better football team. Mm-hmm. You have the Raiders who are a better football team. You have the Colts mm-hmm. who might who that might be a win. You might get lucky. The Colts might just be that bad. I don't know yet. But How about those Colts. <laughs> but but like that's a toss-up still then you Mm. have the chargers i would expect Mm. them to get walloped by the chargers then you have the jets probably with zach wilson and then jaguars in london like you could easily end up going into your bye with two or three wins and and you're just out of it at that point in this division like Mm -hmm. the season's over and I, I don't know. There's just no way I see more than eight wins right now for the Denver Broncos. And I said that week one, and I feel even mm-hmm. more strongly about that week two. I just, it's not a well-coached team. And and ultimately, they just traded for the wrong quarterback. Like, they got Nathaniel Hackett, and they should have mm-hmm. done more and convinced Aaron Rodgers that he was not in a good situation and gone after him. The, re- the whole reason that Hackett was hired was presumably because they assumed that Rodgers would be going with him. Like, right. I think, I think that was one of the prevailing reasons why Hackett was hired as coach. Absolutely. They just matched the wrong quarterback and the wrong head coach. I mean, th- there's just no other way around it. Like, George Payton screwed this up, and they have new ownership. And I'd be shocked. Like, George Payton might fire Nathaniel Hackett by... November Thanksgiving because there's new ownership and I don't think George Payton wants to be swept out because the ownership will make changes like Mm. Rob Walton is a new NFL owner he spent the most money in NFL history to buy the Broncos technically they are the most valuable franchise in pro football they just traded for a quarterback that is supposedly a top 10 quarterback I disagree with that I don't think Russ is anywhere near a top 10 quarterback nor will he ever be a top 10 quarterback again in his career he's just past that like it could get ugly it could get really really ugly and the only really and then they're dealing with injuries too. I mean, Justin Simmons is already on IR. Patrick Sertan might not play this week. He's their best corner. Ronald Darby has looked good through two weeks, but if you're counting on Ronald Darby to be your number one, like that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. And really the only position group that I look and I say, oh, that's a strength on this team is the front four. The mm. defensive line has looked good. Randy Gregory. Chubb and was, Gregory have looked good. 
I, I've just been wrong about him. Like he 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 has been a good player. That was a good signing. DJ Jones is an incredibly good player. They made the right signings defensively. They have a really good defensive line, but everything else just doesn't work. And I mean, Jerry Juby's hurt. And I mean, at this point in his career, I'm I'm just dumb making excuses for Jerry Judy. Like you you have Russell Wilson now. Like you should you should exist. And half the time when they play, he does not exist. Right. And like I mean, Cortland Sutton's a good player, but if you're that touted of a prospect, you should be able to take the one spot away from Cortland Sutton. Right. If you're as talented as the draft after draft after experts and all the uh, right. dynasty fantasy guys made you out to be. Like I would, I would classify Jerry Judy as a bust. I would. He he is an absolute draft bust. Like he he is, he he's not what he was advertised as, and has not translated to the NFL in any way, shape, or form. But hey, the Broncos don't have draft picks for the next thirty years, so that sucks. I mean, no. it, it's it's just the, the outlook's depressing. The outlook the is, I mean, it seems like we're us, like the teams that we support are pretty much at the same in a similar scenario, except like obviously we didn't trade for a quarterback, but the quarterback looks different from last year, and the O line has issues, and there are, and also there are some other issues relating to coaching, which is just which seems to be the common thread between the Bengals and the Broncos <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm Broncos. We'll see. I'm I'm not as depressed as I was last week, but it's embarrassing to watch this team right now. I mean, I mean, I'll, Houston, I'll say it again. It is week two. It is week two. That's the only I saving know, grace we have. But like, the Broncos would have lost that game if it was any team other than the Houston Texans. That's just a fact. Like any other team in the NFL, even the Jets beat them if they play them. I mean. Like you, you should be. They, they couldn't even cover the spread. I mean, you should be beating the Texans by ten. Like the fact that this was a one-score game is embarrassing. Like they they had six points in the first quarter. Like the Texans had six points in the first quarter, and they have Davis Mills, and Davis Mills has regressed. And it's like. What are we doing here exactly? It's just has not been good. I think they need to fire the coach and start over. And yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe it gets better, but it's been everything that you said, okay, it was week one, he'll get better. Nothing got better. Nothing Mm -hmm. changed. It was the exact same mistakes in week one and week two. And that's concerning. That's the concerning part to me. Same here. Same here regarding the Bengals. So I think I think we are uh, par- partners in misery at this point. Yeah. So I guess this is just a very sad podcast. Uh, so so let, let let me now take over back this hosting duty again and and say, you know, the NFL is a nice sport and and a sport that we both love very dearly. And I mm. I think part of the reason I keep coming back to the NFL is that no matter how miserable the Broncos make me. I can always have my little side dreams that are, 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 are there to make me feel good and happy and watch and be like, man, that football's fun to watch. 
who is that for you this year? Who who's that team that's that's just giving you joy every time you turn on their games thus far? And and who's the team that really did that for you in week two? Uh I mean, before the season started, after a lot of the free agency and draft moves were not, I was very, very bullish on the Eagles. Like, because the only question mark it seemed like they had was Jalen Hurts. And yesterday in Monday Night Football, Jalen Hurts played like he played like 2019 Lamar Jackson. He was absolutely incredible because the, uh, the knock on Hertz was always that he looked to run more than pass initially, and also that his passing is inaccurate. For at least one week, the man knew when to throw and when to run, and he threw absolute dimes to ev- per- on virtually every pass he threw. Hertz was incredible yesterday. Yeah, he and, was really good. And like uh, obviously, there were a lot of fantasy owners panicking about Devontae Smith because he put up a goose egg in week one. Well, that got remedied in a hurry. He got like like six receptions, 80 yards, something like that. He spread it around. A.J. Brown got his share. Dallas Goddard got his share. Sanders and Sanders, Boston Scott all ran well. And the Eagles have always had a great offensive line anchored by Jason Kelsey and late and So they they just steamrolled the Vikings. And what I, th- what I found more interesting was that they were able to keep Justin Jefferson in check. And part of it has to do with primetime Kirk Cousins, but Darius Slay, like even now that he, even now he's like, what, in year eight, nine, like he's a he's a well trapped he's a well seasoned veteran, and he would he absolutely locked down Justin Jefferson, and it was it got so bad that I well on the Monday night cast, Troy Aikman well he always has his quarterback biases, but he basically said that Darius Slade made Justin Jefferson commit a huge mistake, and that led to the interception in the end zone, and the the Eagles defense was not great last year, but the addition of Bradbury, the addition of Hassan Reddick, who I'm not sure why they want him playing coverage so much in the flats, but it seems to be doing it. Something's going right. Fletcher Cox looks looks rejuvenated next to Jordan Davis. And the Eagles, they look as every bit as good as the preseason hype made them out to be. They had a shaky start in week one when Jalen Hurts started out with throwing incompletions on all five of his passes. But yesterday, if they play like that, they have the potential to go places. The Eagles looked absolutely incredible yesterday. And Obviously, there was another team that looked incredible yesterday, but maybe you want to touch on that. Yeah, I, I like Jalen Hurts a lot as well. I mean, he he was incredible to me. You know, I, I sent you that NFL notes piece I'm doing on my blog this mm. this year, and you know, I like having you know my top ten quarterback list. I, I like doing that a lot, and and I'll just I'll just tell you. Jalen Hurts is number three for me right now, like 26 of 31, 333 yards through the air, just like a wildly good passer. And like Mm -hmm. for as good as he is as a runner, the passing game has come along. And if he can mix the passing game with the running game, you know, I I buy people like Greg Rosenthal who say like, this is the kind of thing that leads to Jalen Hurts having one of the greatest running seasons of all time, like on par with like 20, you know, 2018 Lamar Jackson. And like right when he hit the league or or Vic, you know, Mm. he's a great runner. He's a great passer. He's a great player. And they have weapons around him and they got people really involved last night. Like AJ Brown didn't have that spectacular of a game because Watkins was making plays and Devontae Smith had a lot of catches Mm. like, 
this offense to me has the potential to be very, very special. I thought it was a little bit concerning that they really slowed down in the second half uh, and, and weren't able to get any points on the board. But, man, they, they just look like a team that you do not want to play. And, be and tri- I, they'll be tricky. They'll be a tricky opponent for anybody. Yeah. And I will. Yeah. And I will say, I'll say one thing, one more thing about and that game. I, I do want to just before you go, I just want to mm-hmm. give like people had questions about Nick Sirianni coming in. He got a lot of hate, but like he has created one of the most creative offenses in the NFL, like hands down, like what they do with pre-snap motion and RPOs and everything that only they can do because of Jalen Hurts' skill. Like, that's just brilliant coaching. Mm-hmm. That's just right. brilliant, brilliant coaching. I think we kind of have to start looking at Nick Sirianni, especially if this success continues and they are and they become a 12 to 13 win team this year, like some people believe they can. I think we have to put Nick Sirianni in the conversation of, you know, top 10 coaches in the NFL. Yeah, the, the other reason I was high on the Eagles coming into the, this year was last year they started out really terribly and they were trying to go a pass, go a pass happy scheme. And that's not going to work with Jalen hurts. Like he, he should be able, he should be using the threat of the run mixed in with the pass and not be a pocket passer or a, or a straightforward runner. And they, to because they, in the middle of last year, they saw that things weren't working and they want, and they made the hard decision to tear, tear their initial original strategy and basically create a new one in the middle of the season. And that got into a lot of success in the end of the season. They snuck into the playoffs where they got waxed, but it was a very good learning experience for them because they weren't expected to be a great team last year. So, and then they refined the blueprint, they added weapons, and that sort of that sort of a cohesion, I think, is very is something that is a very big benefit for the Eagles. It, it helps that they have a lot of continuity on the offensive line, which is all which has always been their uh, bread and butter in the late 2010s. So they're they're very they're really fun to watch like they're very they're very very exciting to watch and i will say one thing about kirk cousins that game cousins he did not have a good game i'll say that front but there were at least about seven plays where the vikings receivers just absolutely dropped that they dropped the ball with nobody around like i i it was incredible and kirk cousins is not an elite quarterback but i can understand if he gets frustrated and I put, I'm basically throwing dimes in there while I'm getting slaughtered by Fletcher Cox and Hassan Reddick, and they can't catch a damn ball. Like, this is, this is, like, Cousins did not have a great game, but he was not helped out either. Yeah. Personally, like my, I, I tweeted it. I, I'm just done with Kirk Cousins. Like, I'm done with him. Like, and I think the Vikings should be done with them too, because ultimately you brought in Kevin O'Connell and said, okay, we'll, we'll stick with Kirk Cousins because he's got a new head coach and this scheme potentially fits him perfectly. Mm-hmm. But at some point, like you just have to look at games like that and the fact he can't perform in prime time and like the Dalton conundrum. But the literal. Like he has given you like how long's he been in the league at this point? Like he has been in the league for almost 10 years. Like give up. Like he is not your answer. Like 
And if, if you're a franchise that's looking for a passable quarterback, like, go ahead, sure, give them a shot. Like, I think it'd be smart for, like, the Panthers who need some stability and to become more competitive. It'd be smart for them to take Kirk Cousins in because they're not trying to be a Super Bowl contender. But the Vikings now have a generational talent at wide receiver and a really talented offense and a really well-put-together defense. And they cannot waste that with Kirk Cousins. You have to be aggressive this offseason and go after a guy either in the draft or right. via trade and just upgrade because Kirk Cousins is not him. Like this is just it's just not gonna work. And like I'm done with it. I'm done believing in Kirk Cousins. I'm done with Vikings as as a as a general concept, because this game proves something to me. I don't care how good they look for the rest of the year. They can they can win 12 games for all I care. They are not winning in the playoffs. That is just not happening. That is not something Kirk Cousins is capable of doing, no matter who his head coach is. Like, he is just not a good quarterback. He is not a crunch time quarterback. He is not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Give up on him. The goal here is to win the Super Bowl. And you guys are just not trying to do that. And I'm done with them as a franchise because of it. Like, fine. Like, give me some fun games in the NFC North. That's fine. But, like, I have interest in other teams. Like, not the Vikings. They they just, like, you can be good this year, fine. But I'm not going to respect you until Kirk Cousins becomes something he's not. And he'll, he'll just never be a winner. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested in I'm not interested. We'll always have the memes. We'll always have. You like that? We'll always have. Yeah, we'll always have you like that. We'll always have you like that. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right, YB. Um, Okay. Let me scroll through some of the other Sunday action. Um, Wait, hold on. Can we touch touch on Lamar and Tua's uh, epic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where we go next. Lamar looks like he's back to 2019 form. Yeah, he's the just man looked incredible. He's just unreal. I mean, like, I don't know if it's you amazing what a contract year will do for you. Like, <laughs> you, you obviously have watched him more being in the division. Too much of him, I'd say. You know, personally, and maybe this is crazy to say. I've always been, I've never been one of those stupid guys that's like, oh, Kirk Cousins can't throw. Lamar Jackson can't throw. Like Lamar can throw. He that, can sling that, that. That that's stupid. Like you shouldn't be that guy. But are is this two game stretch that he's put together right now the best you've ever seen him pass? Yes. Or 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 is it just yes. the best set of weapons he's had? Because he just looks incredible through the air like he's not even like i know he had 119 yards on the ground on nine carries that's 13 yards a carry that's crazy but most of it on one run my man (laughs) he tore up this dolphins Mm -hmm. defense that is widely considered to have two of the best cornerbacks in the nfl like what he did through the air in this game was absolutely nutso and like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think the fact that Rashad Bateman has developed into a weapon, like he is just a weapon that they need to get the ball in his hands. The fact he took that little slant, like 72, 75 yards to me, he's made the leap. He he's good. I Andrews, get the, obviously 
and I get, I get that the Dolphins just scored 42 on you, but I do believe that's just because they have two fastest wide receivers in the NFL. And it's hard to cover two of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL at the same time. It's just hard to match up with speed in the NFL when it's on a different level. I still believe the Baltimore Ravens have a top three defense in the entire NFL. To me, they are the challenge to the Bills in the AFC. Like not the Chiefs. I get the Chiefs are a nice story. I get that. Like, and Brad, <laughs> Brad's gonna absolutely freak out when he hears this episode. I, I am I am awaiting the next episode because like, Brad will be on a fire just, when he comes he, on. He's oh my god. He's gonna be on fire because he thinks <laughs> the media's got it all set out against no, the Chiefs. I think now he believes you. I think you have something against well then you're a Broncos fan. So yeah I mean, be he, he just that. thinks I have something vendetta. But the facts are the facts. The Ravens have better weapons. The Ravens have a better defense. That's just the, the fact. Ravens do have a better defense. I'll give him that. That's Except just the fact. You is, think the is. Chiefs have better weapons than the Ravens? Absolutely not. The Ravens have some of the best weapons in the NFC. I mean Isaiah likely looks like an absolute threat. Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, like Devin Duvernay has put together two games. And I get that it's Devin Duvernay. But who are the Chiefs trotting out there? Like Juju, Juju has looked average through two weeks. And and like they're... Edwards Allaire has, has resurrected his career. I'll say that much. Right. Like they've got Clyde and I get that. But like... Kelsey, obviously. But, Ke- but like... I don't think the weapons are that different. Like, and I think I give the edge to the Ravens and I just, I, I don't know. I, I still believe Lamar's going to win the MVP. That's just the way I feel. I know Josh Allen, I know Josh Allen is having just an incredible season, but I think we're going to get to the end of the year and they're going to have comparable numbers. Um, Because I mean, he threw for more yards than Josh Allen this week. Like, that's that's just a fact. Like Lamar Jackson is putting up the air numbers that Josh Allen is putting up. Like that that is what's happening. That is a fact. That is a thing that is happening in the NFL. Like you cannot dispute that. So I, I don't know. I, I I love the Ravens, but they lost this game. Yeah, and they I, lost. I guess you know, I, I, I'm I, I'm, I, I'm still in shock that they lost this game. To be perfectly I, honest, I, because yeah, I guess we get to Tua. Like, okay, YB. I'm just going to say something really, really crazy. I get that he did this in a comeback. Mm. I get that he did this against a top three defense. I get that he did this with the deep ball, literally had a huge, like a 10 yard depth of target this week. Like on, on deep passes, he was perfect this week. I get it. I get Tua did all that stuff. I still want to see more. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. For, yeah. for some one, reason, one game doesn't. One game doesn't like yeah, interrupt so, everything. And some reason, what I will like, say, every, what I will say, I will talk- say one thing though. Yeah, I will say one thing because uh, the game start. The early games in the NFL start at two a.m. local time in Korea. So I was watching like four games on one monitor, and around halftime, I decided that because I have to go to work the next day, I decided that okay, halftime is enough. I'm, I've had enough of this game because they were up 28-7, I think, at halftime. And I saw the highlights, and I did see this before I went before I went to bed, that they're finding ways to utilize Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill in 
ways that are not just, okay, go and run faster than everybody else. There's a lot of, lot of crossing movement lot, and a lot of intermediate routes. And Tua, for his supposed deficiency in the deep ball, he's always shown that he, can, he knows how to make quick reads and throw and get the ball out quickly and accurately. And a speedy receiver doesn't need to always catch the ball 35 yards down the field to make, him, make a big play. We saw that with Rashad Bateman, ironically, because he took that slant and went all the way, and Xavier Howard had a terrible game. But if, if what I'm seeing is right, and Mike McDaniel decides to uh, go off, get off from his porch and actually start using Mike Kosicki as a receiver instead of a blocking tight end, he's not George Kittle, for God's sakes. But if he decides to actually start using Mike Kosicki as basically the counterpoint to the speedsters of Waddle and Hill, they have a, they, I think they have a very potent offense in there. It's, coming, it's slowly coming together. And I think because Tua can get the ball quickly, it helps mask some of the deficiencies in the Dolphins' O-line, which were prevalent last year. They tried to remedy that, obviously, with Teron Armstead. And you can see the formula for what they want to do. And they... And you saw that it can work against a team that is talented, except the Raiders D is talented, but they have some pieces that are still need to adjust to whether it's a new guy coming in from a different system like Marcus Williams, although he played well, a rookie like Kyle Hamilton, or guys coming off of serious injuries like Peters and Humphrey. So they have the talent, but they're, they're kind of still kind of trying to fight, figure things out a little bit in terms of how everything fits together. And as you said, it is kind of hard to defend two guys with 4.3 speed, 4.3 speed for the whole game. But the, the place that they hit Hill on for twice, those are busted coverages. They were not, they were not Hill beating a guy. There was a miss, that was a mix-up because Tua, this, Tua led, led Hamilton for, Kyle Hamilton forward with his eyes, and Hamilton left behind the back end. And when you leave behind the back end open, Tyreek Hill is going to make you pay for it, and they did. Yeah. So... You can see the blueprint for what the Dolphins want to do. And having seen that it works in a game against a talented, talented team, I think they'll find ways to improve it as well. So McDaniel is off to a pretty good start. Yeah, I, I'm definitely more of a Mike McDaniels believer now. I, I, I've seen it kind of two weeks in a row. I, I can get behind that. I, I just want to see more consistency. Like right. if two is like... You have to prove like, it over a long period of time. Like I, I kind of thought, you know, I, I kind of wrote about this in the NFL notebook. Go check that out uh, on the drama of it all sportsblog.com. Also check it out on my Twitter at Eric18Utah at Eric Jensen Sport. It'll be out tomorrow morning. But the next four games for Tua look like this. The Bills, the Bengals, the Jets, the Vikings. To me, I want to set some very realistic expectations. If you win three of four of those games I'm pretty much in on the Dolphins as an organization and if Tua is the better quarterback in three or four of four of those games and continues to be a successful deep passer then I'll give Tua his flowers but I I just need to see a little bit more that's that's kind of where I'm at with with Tua right now yeah that's that's understandable like so a two-game sample ultimately can mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. So you have to see if they can sustain everything going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I want to talk about Bucks Saints next. Um, one, just just shout out to Mark Ingram. Um, 
I know this is a weird place to start in this game, but like Mark Ingram looked really, really good. Like still has it kind of taken over that Frank Gore old running back mantra. Right. And and is carrying the torch for all the old running backs out there. Big trust. I tell you that right now. Big trust for real. Like uh, that, that's, you know, I rock with big trust hard. And uh, he, he's a man. I just love Mark Ingram. I've always loved Mark Ingram. He's always been kind of one of my He's a real throwback. Yeah, he's he's always been one of my favorite kind of NFL kind of secondary backs. And, like, they didn't have Alvin Kamara for this game. And, honestly, ran the ball pretty well. Averaged six yards a carry, got 10 carries for 60 yards. They had to abandon the run pretty quickly because they, they got down. But just a shout-out to Mark Ingram to start. Um, I am just, is this Bucks defense the best defense in the NFL? It's up there along, I'd say along with the Bills, I'd say the Bills, the Bills, Bills defense looks good too. I mean, six sacks that Saints offensive line has been a mess through two weeks, but six sacks, like. I don't know. They, 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 I mean, they have a they have a good they have a good balance of old and young guys because Winfield guys like Winfield and the, the younger guys like Winfield they've they've stepped up and obviously you have a mountain of a man in Vita Vea, Vita Vea along and then the and then the veteran leader in Levante David and his uh, enforcer in Devin White and so their their defense like Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles coached defense last year. <clears throat> And now, and now that he's the guy in charge, there's a lot of continuity there. Um, they were very, they were, it was very nice. It was very good for them that they managed to keep around Carlton Davis, who was going to get a, who I thought was going to get a much bigger back in free agency if he had left. But because we've seen the limitations of the offense so far, like what can happen if things go a bit wrong for the offense for Tampa Bay this past couple of weeks. And the Saints have always played the Bucks pretty tight, pretty tough in the Brady era. Scoring 19 against the Cowboys is not a great thing either, but they were able to pull them off. They were able to pull through with it. And even when the offense was a bit sputtering and Tom Brady was throwing uh, Microsoft surfaces to the ground. So the Bucks, like because, because of Tom Brady and Mike Evans, like sometimes you forget about the Bucks defense, but they're making sure they're not forgotten this year. They're, they're, they're performing at a very, very high. Granted, it's against a bit of a limit to somewhat limited offenses because the Cowboys have a lack of weapons. The Saints have a lack of a quarterback. So <laughs> there is that, but. Yeah, this was old Jameis. This was like classic Bucks Jameis where he just doesn't see the linebackers. Um, I mean, the, the dude is playing with four fractures in his back. I'll, I'll cut it. I'll give him a bit of a pass for that. Which is just funny. Listen, I'm, I'm a Jameis guy. I'll always be a Jameis guy. Part of the reason I am a Jameis guy is because occasionally he throws you a game like this where it's just like tremendous physical comedy. Like, oh, my God, how did you not see that guy? Like he's mm-hmm. like a 200 pound linebacker and like right in front of your wide receivers. Like, what are you looking at? And it's just funny to laugh at and, and have a good time with. And I think Jameis would agree to me. I don't know if you've ever listened to his podcast, but it's absolutely electric. Jameis Winston is one of the funniest men on the planet. I, I firmly believe that. <laughs> like the, the dude is just like, 
I think if you asked me right now, what NFL players would you like to like go out and like have a few drinks with, like Jameis Winston would be at the top of my list. Like he is, he's just awesome. Uh, I get that he's got troubling things in his past and we'll sweep those under the rub briefly, but like just as kind of like a piece of comedy, he is priceless and i i think he's willing to laugh at himself which is a really admirable tra- trait that, that is an admirable trait like but the quarterback thing i'm i'm really more interested in this game is tom brady because tom brady is just not right <laughs> like 18 for 34 like barely two, barely not even 200 yards 190 like i get the saints defense is good but He's missing practice on Wednesdays now. He's old. Like his personal life might be falling apart. Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be wiping his he'll be wiping any tears with his uh, hundred dollar bills. I I know, but just like I get it's Tom Brady, but there's a small part of my brain that is like he is not going to figure this out by November. Like. he's just not like this defense is gonna have to carry him and 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 that's fine they probably will but like in a shootout i don't know if he can survive at this point in his career with with how he's playing i mean and it's not like his arm's gone or anything either it's just like it's very weird i have a very i'm having a very hard time evaluating tom brady right now i just a very hard time it's it's hard to it's hard i mean i i know from experience that if you're experiencing troubles in your personal life it's going to affect you in your professional career and i I mean i'm not going to speculate on the nature of what's going on between brady and giselle but uh but what i one thing i do find concerning is that uh the entire basically entire wide receiver core of the bay of the bucks is in the infirmary yeah, and, and now Mike Evans is suspended. Evans is suspended for one for one game for a pretty pretty darn good shove that he put on Marshawn Lattimore. I just I don't know why Lattimore got thrown out of the game personally because he was the one that got hit and yet he was jawing, but jawing doesn't get you ejected. So I think the Saints can feel a little hard done in that regard. But the entire receiving core being in the infirmary is troubling and obviously with Donovan Smith still on the mend, Tristan Wirfs also kind of getting some nagging injury i think like that's something to watch but we've 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 experienced this for 20 years i'm not gonna i'm not gonna predict anything about brady (laughs) the man has defied the odds way too many times i mean that's fair that's absolutely fair but Still, there's just something about this Bucks team that just seems a little off. Like yeah. I, I don't know if I a lot of teams them. feel a little bit off. Like I, right now. I don't know if I view them as a, a, a contender necessarily. Um, I want to touch on the Jets really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a crazy comeback. Like Joe Flacco, the fact that he's still able to throw for 300 yards at this point in his career. He still owns the Browns. It's crazy. I mean, and that's the one thing. I'll give Joe Flacco some credit. He can't move. He can't move. That's right. It's true. He can't move. He's a Stone Age pony. Like, we all know this. But his arm's still there. Like, 
this is the arm that, you know, the classic is Joe Flacco elite era Joe Flacco had. Like, he's still got an arm, and he can still run an offense professionally. And to be completely honest with you, what what this Jets win did on on Sunday was just put a ton of pressure on Zach Wilson because if Joe Flacco can get this offense 30 points, then Zach Wilson better be able to do that. Right. Because like physically speaking, he should be a much better quarterback. No, it's like it, you can't knock the merits of experience and Flacco has plenty of it, obviously. So far from Zach Wilson, other than that 50-yard run that he pulled off last season, we haven't really seen much to really inspire a lot of hope. You saw pieces of it with Joe Burrow before he got hurt in his rookie season. You obviously saw it immediately with guys like Justin Herbert. And you saw like the guys that the guys that came great, Josh Allen being a notable exception, you could see it pretty quickly. And Zach Wilson hasn't inspired that in his one plus year of being a Jets quarterback. So yeah, and obviously with Salah also, I think the pressure was on Salah as well because the defense gave up a lot. The defense got gashed by Nick Chubb. But and if you're a def- if you're a defensive guy and your defense isn't that good, then what exactly are you then what exactly are you good for? Obviously this is something that can obviously also be said about Rod Rivera in Washington. But they pulled off this win. So, yeah, it creates a bit of a funny picture in, in the Meadowlands. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Is Nick Chubb the best pure runner in the NFL? Yes. I will say yes. Okay. Hands down. The, the, man, the man is a beast. So I put that question out on, on Twitter the other day, and only like three other guys pop into my mind. Let me give you my list of, of the guys who, in no particular order, I think are the top four pure runners. Like, take pass catching out of it, take route running out of it, just mm. give this guy the ball, and he will get you yards. I think the four best runners in the NFL are DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones and Jonathan Taylor. I think those are the four best pure runners in the NFL. And I think there's a very good chance that Nick Chubb is the best of the four of those guys. In terms of pure running skill, in terms of the old school running back, that doesn't worry about pass catching. I'll take Nick Chubb over virtually. That man, the man had, well, maybe Jonathan Taylor, but because Jonathan Taylor does offer you a little bit more in the pass catching game, but Nick Chubb is, I think it's because he plays in Cleveland and also because he he's not a workhorse back if you look at his touches. Like they they take very good they because they have a lot of running backs and they have a system, they monitor his touches very well. So you'll see that he's not, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his on his tires compared to say someone like, I don't know, Joe Mixon or obviously more extreme examples like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley. So I think Nick Nick Chubb. See, after seeing him every year, every year twice, and watching him trample all over the Bengals every time he faces them, like I have the utmost respect for Nick Chubb. That man, that man is a monster. Yeah. Also, just another quarterback note: Jacoby Brissett, not as bad as you think. Like, eh, well, it's just, one week, but <laughs> just not. No, no. Through two weeks, he has been an average NFL quarterback. Uh. 
I have a lot of Browns fans who will disagree with that sentiment. I have a lot of friends who are, been, who are Browns fans who will disagree with the sentiment, but the stats say that, yes. But the stats also do lie. Well, I'll just, that's all I'll say. Okay, but that's fine. Um, briefly, before we go, just some other things. I, I think the Colts might just be bad. Like They might be. That, that's kind of just my, my thought. Uh, they don't really have anyone at wide receiver other than Michael Pittman. Mm. Like the defense is not as good as it's hyped up to be. Matt Ryan's in a sneaky worse situation offensive line wise than he was right. in Atlanta. And like the other part is like, I get it. Like the default for some reason is like, oh, Frank Reich's a really great coach. Is he like, is he a really great coach? Because they haven't done anything since that one Andrew Luck year. And like at right. this point, you can't blame that Andrew Luck sudden retirement anymore. Like it's been five years since that's happened and right. they've done nothing. And they used to be an AFC superpower. Like maybe I, I they obviously won't do it intentionally because no one wants to get fired, but like, if they only win seven, six, five games this year, like I think you need to fire both Chris Ballard and Frank Wright and just say, okay, sorry, Matt Ryan, like we got to move on and and draft a highly rated quarterback and just kind of start a rebuild because they, they're just like, even if they made the playoffs, I don't think, and, and, and I feel like even before the season, when they were getting all this hype, everyone was just expecting them to win the division. Like they aren't going to compete in the AFC. Like they are, they're not a Super Bowl contender and they're not an they're AFC not. title game contender. They're just a, a floating playoff team. Like, are they even a playoff team at this point? Yeah. Because like, the, o, the O-line is what really disturbs me about the Colts because Matt Ryan, kind of like what you said about Joe Flacco, Matt Ryan doesn't move well at all. He never really was a very mobile guy, but now he's, what, 37? So he obviously doesn't move very well. And aside from Quentin Nelson, the O-line is disturbingly bad, right? They are getting swarmed. You know, Jacksonville was absolutely te- like getting through the O-line and basically flustering Matt Ryan. It's hard to fluster Matt Ryan. <laughs> and when they, the only positive they get they're five having, sacks on the day for, for yeah, Jackson. The only positive they have <clears throat> about this season so far is that they've rediscovered Naheem Hines, which is something that I think was more a product of Carson Wentz being unwilling to throw to his backs. But other than that, they with Michael Pittman obviously out due to some sort of injury, they have nobody to throw the ball to at all. Yeah. Like they have nobody to throw the ball to. Like it's Ashton what... Doolin, Paris, Ashton Doolin, and was it Paris Campbell still there, right? Yeah, Paris Campbell's still there. I, yeah, I mean, so, and it's wild. Like, everyone always says, like, Chris Ballard's this great GM. Okay, really? Like, wh- where's the talent on this roster then? The talent should be on the defense because they have DeForest Buckner. They have Kenny uh, Kenny Moore. They have... But they're not uh, good. The defense is not good. Yeah, well, yeah, well, therein lies an issue because uh, <laughs> the defense, like, the defense is always about who, where there's no... Like, it's better to have a kind of a all 70s team as opposed to a, a bunch of guys in the 90s and a couple in the 50s because you're the weak defense is only as good as the weak and 
they are having some issues right now because Trevor Lawrence, like, obviously it has something to do with the fact that he's now being coached by a guy that isn't a co-ed diddler. But Trevor Lawrence looked have, looked like the best he has ever I've seen him this year. Like, it helps that when you have a well-compensated slot receiver who can get open at will and also a pass-catching back, which James Robinson is not a prototypical pass-catching back. ETN is when he catches the ball anyway. So the Jaguars tore them apart. And while I I think people were expecting a bit of a rebound for the Jaguars because purely through addition by subtraction, this was disturbingly easy for the Jaguars. Yeah. It should not have been this easy for the Jaguars. And the Colts, the Colts are, they have to be worried. And I share your sentiments about Reich. Yeah. Just briefly on the Jaguars, wasn't blown away by Trevor Lawrence. I get the numbers are good. 25 of 30 is good. I, I'm not disputing mm-hmm. that. But, like, he needs to continue to build on this because he's never, to my recollection, put together two really good weeks in a row. Like, And also, he's never really had a game where he makes you say, okay, that's what they were talking about. Like, like yeah. someone like Mahomes or like Allen or Herbert. Like, there are flashes for sure. He definitely made you can some. You see sometimes, but. Some crazy throws, in, but, 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 like, just need to see a little bit more. And if he ends up just being an average NFL quarterback, that's fine. Mm. I, I, you know, but it, it'll just be interesting to see how he develops. The other thing is the Jaguars played their starting defense most of for preseason. I've seen enough. This is just a good defense. Like mm. it just is. The, the back end's got some holes, but the front yeah, seven. The back is, end's got some holes, but. The front seven is fast and speedy and strong and ferocious and is going to get four or five sacks every single game. And that's going to keep you in games. Like they're they're just going to remain competitive and they have a killer schedule coming up the next three weeks. They play the Chargers, the Eagles, and then they get a nice break with the Texans, the Colts and the Giants. But like if you could split somehow with the Chargers or Eagles or even stay competitive in both those games, that that'd be a really huge Huge it's a step, big step up, huge step forward for this mm-hmm. franchise that has been bad for many, many years. So I'm enthused by what I see from the Jaguars. Obviously, want to see more. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'll let you return to the workforce in, in South Korea because I, I know your your lunch break is 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 coming to an end here. Uh YB. So thank you so much for, for joining me. This has been a ton of fun. We we touched on a lot, and you know. Mm-hmm. While there were some we missed, but we have only one hour. While I certainly can't do this every single week, you know, let's get you back on and you know when when October hits, you know. Sounds good. I I think a once monthly YB appearance on this podcast is just what the people need. I think they're clamoring. I think they're clamoring for it. I think we 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 do one of these late night pods uh once a month. So Thank you so much, YB. It's it's been a pleasure as always, and and have a great rest of your day at work. I I All appreciate right. you taking some time. All right, sounds good. And, and always glad to be here. And I'll be looking forward to you next time. Check out the NFL Notebook. You can find it on Twitter at EndZonePod at Eric eighteen Utah at Eric Jensen Sport. It'll be all over those pages tomorrow. Also on my blog, linked in my Twitters. Go check that out. And share this podcast with your friends and family, and leave a five star review. That that's I, I don't ask for that often, but it'd be nice if you did that. So I, I appreciate you all and uh it's 
you know, it's fun. We're going into week three. So let's let's see what else we learn about this crazy league of ours. All right, all. Have a great rest of your week. We will be back Thursday night slash Friday morning with some previews with our good friend Mason from Buffalo. All right, folks. We will see you next time. Peace out.